and welcome to the Westside Church's special Monday Morning Coffee Podcast. On this podcast, our preacher, Mark Roberts, will help you get your week started right with a look back at yesterday's sermon so that we can think through it further and better work the applications into our daily lives. Mark will then look forward into this week's Bible reading so that we can know what to expect and watch for. And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. Good morning, good morning. Mark here, ready to start your week right with the Bible. Some thoughts from yesterday's sermon, a quick look at our daily Bible reading for the week, and maybe even some talk about this cup of coffee that I'm drinking. Let's start by working with the sermon yesterday. That sermon was titled, Planting Tares, the Scopes Monkey Trial, and it was an examination of a trial that occurred 96 years ago today in Tennessee, the Scopes Monkey Trial, a trial where a public school teacher was on trial for teaching Darwinian evolution in the classroom. And this sermon really isn't about schooling or free speech or what should be taught in public schools. This sermon looked at the attitudes and the values that have been implanted in American society, particularly as a result of the perceptions from that trial and the media coverage of that trial. So I talked about how some seeds were planted in American society. The idea first that only fools believe in the Bible and not evolution. You have to just be uninformed, if not out and out stupid, to believe in the Genesis account of creation. And then secondly, the idea that the Bible is hopelessly old old-fashioned and out of date, just can't really speak to a modern society. And of course, the book of Ecclesiastes helps us see that some things never change, and that's why we're always going to need the Bible and God's Word, because we're always going to need God. But the third point that I made yesterday is that much of what evolution is about is how man doesn't need God. That's what Darwinian evolution proposes. It's a theory of origins without God. And I think that's why it's been so widely and so quickly embraced. So let me give you a couple of thoughts about evolution and about that sermon that may help you think a little bit more about it and its role in our society and even in your own life. First and foremost, always remember that evolutionists love to double talk. They use the term evolution in different ways, two different ways. The word evolution, it just means change, and all of us believe in change within a species. We believe, for example, that those famous pepper moths in London, they do in fact get darker. Their coloration over time as London got more sooty, uh, their color changed. They adapted. Uh, bears in a national park learned to eat out of the dumpster and out of trash cans, stop cars, and panhandle. They've adapted. We all believe in that kind of evolution. That's demonstrably true, cannot be denied. Within a species, animals adapt. What we are denying is the theory that animals change from one species to another, that bears are eventually going to become humans, that lizards will eventually become birds. That kind of evolution has never been proven, and yet evolutionists persist in showing data and all kinds of diagrams of evolution within a species as if that proves that somehow lizards can become birds 
or bears can someday play chess. Don't let evolutionists double talk you. And maybe it's important to remember here that evolution doesn't really answer its own question. How did things begin? Evolution begins then by saying there were these chemicals floating in the ocean and they combined together and bam, one cell life start. Wait, 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 wait. There were chemicals in the ocean? Where did that come from? Where did the ocean come from? See, that that's not even a good theory of origins when it doesn't even start with real origins. But the result of teaching evolution and its widespread acceptance as a consequence of the Scopes Monkey Trial and other kinds of events like that meant, for example, for religious people that the Bible needed to be fixed. This is where theological liberalism came in. We can't take the Bible literally, can't take the Bible seriously. We just kind of believe it has some good ideas and some generally good concepts, but the Bible has to be repaired to mesh up with real science and what science now knows. That's an enormous problem. And of course, if you remove creation from the Bible, you don't take that seriously, it's not literally true, then all of the places where creation shows up in the Bible suddenly become suspect. For example, when Jesus references creation in Matthew, the 19th chapter. What about that? Does that mean Jesus was uninformed? Jesus was repeating a myth? How do we treat that? See, when you take part of the Bible out, you ultimately, in effect, gut the Bible and it becomes meaningless, which is exactly what's happened to those folks who want to hold on to the Bible and claim to be Christian, but they're part of these man-made denominational churches that are enormously liberal. They, they end up sanctioning anything and everything because the Bible can't be an effective guidebook if parts of it aren't, in fact, true. The other thing, then, that I would say is, and maybe I would say this in a way of a practical application, is I think every Christian needs to look carefully at how evolution is presented in the world today and then just ask themselves, am I embarrassed to be a believer in the Bible? Am I embarrassed to believe in creation? Because if we are, then we're going to end up apologizing for the Bible or trying to repair the Bible or we're going to hide our light under a bushel to use that wonderful kids song they sing in Sunday school. But somehow, some way, we're going to end up not being what we ought to be as disciples in this world. So just ask yourself, Am I in some way beginning to believe what the devil relentlessly pounds constantly and everywhere that creation is not true and that we evolved? If I let that seed be planted in my heart, nothing but evil can result as it grows. I urge you to think carefully about the Bible's account for creation. There's plenty of resources online, and there's other sermons that I've preached on our website at justchristians.com that deal more thoroughly with the failings and fallacies of evolution. Don't believe the lie of evolution. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what the Bible says, and we need to believe that. Well, that's a look back at yesterday's sermon. Let's look forward to this week's Bible reading in the Gospel of John. I hope you
hope as you're doing your daily Bible reading this morning, you have a cup of coffee half as good as this cup that I have. I'm drinking some Hawaka coffee out of Mexico, and it is just tremendous. This week, we're going to read in John 7, 8, and 9. We're picking up chapter 7 in John 7, verse 37. And you're reading this morning on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What you should know about this is that this is during the Feast of Tabernacles, as John describes for us in John 7 and verse 2. And as part of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a water-drawing rite. There was a huge procession that would go to the Pool of Siloam, led by the high priest. Water would be drawn from the Pool of Siloam and brought back in celebration to the temple. It would be poured out and there would be a thanksgiving pronounced. Psalm 118 was sung. It was a really, really big deal. It was a big part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so this water's being poured out. And Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, let him, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus says, I am the water of life. I'm reminding us of what he told the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus is making use of what's going on right there during the Feast of Tabernacles and saying, I really am the fullness of that imagery that would connect for the people of God there to the Exodus and, and how God had provided for them during the time that they were living in booths, so to speak. The Feast of Tabernacles reminded them of the time that they were in the wilderness. And so Jesus says, I'm the ultimate expression of that. You'll want to be making note of that as you're reading in chapter 7 today. Then in tomorrow's reading, we will read a difficult and maybe controversial section because that begins in 753 and Proceeds through eight verse chapter eight verse eleven, and there's just no doubt that you're going to see something in your Bible that's going to raise a red flag. There's going to be brackets, or there's going to be italics, or this whole section is missing, and it's printed down at the bottom of the page in little bitty numbers or little bitty letters. Something's going on here to signal you that there's some issue with the story of the woman taken in adultery. How do we treat that? What are we going to do with that? Let me just remind you that we don't ever want to be afraid of questions about the manuscript text of the Bible. The Bible's originals, the one that John wrote, the one that Paul wrote, Peter wrote, Luke wrote, those original texts, they were inspired and they were absolutely inerrant and perfect. But we do not have the originals anymore. What we have is copies of the copies or maybe copies sometimes of the original. We do not have a perfect translation. So the quest to make sure that we have an accurate text of Scripture is something that's very, very important for every disciple. We want to make sure that what we have is Scripture. So we don't want anything written in there that's not Scripture. And we certainly don't want to take anything out that is Scripture. But I would remind you, there's not any disputed portion of the Bible that is going to majorly affect your walk with God. There's no seventh step to salvation or some weird command that somehow we've clipped out of the Bible because it was just odd. The sections of Scripture like Luke 8 or like Luke 5 or the ending of Mark 16 are disputed and there are legitimate questions that we want to ask and answer about these texts, but whether they're in the Bible or out of the Bible isn't going to materially affect your discipleship. So don't be afraid of these kinds of questions. Nobody's trying to destroy the Bible. What we're actually trying to do is make sure that we have the best Bible. 
Having said that, you should know that there are some significantly high-quality manuscripts that do not contain this material. And that, of course, has caused there to be some big questions about that. And there's some vocabulary here that doesn't sound very much like John, some words here that he does not employ or use in other places in his gospel or in the epistles. So the translators have seen fit to say, hey, we're not so sure about this. Is this really... John's gospel, or is this something that that someone wrote into the gospel later on? I'm going to tell you that really a full examination of all the pros and cons of this text are way beyond a short podcast like this, but I do believe the material is genuine. I think it's very difficult to imagine that this story floated around orally for hundreds of years and then finally found its way into the text of Scripture. We haven't found the manuscripts, the early manuscripts yet that contain it, but I wonder if someday those won't be found. I really wonder if maybe this story wasn't taken out of the text because people were embarrassed by it and somehow decided that what this meant was Jesus was sanctioning adultery, that Jesus wasn't hard enough or tough enough on sin, and so we'd better get this material out of the Bible. That is not at all what's going on in John 8. This text does not mean it's okay to sin. Jesus urges her to stop sinning in verse 12, and it certainly doesn't mean that nobody can judge unless they are perfect. If so, all civil courts would have to cease operation. What this text shows is how eager Jesus is to forgive and to release a person to a new life where they go on to serve God and stop serving sin. So I urge you to read the text. I urge you to work through the text and to treat it as original and as inspired because I believe, in fact, that it is. Now, on Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to continue reading in chapter 8. We're going to read in chapter 8 in verse 12, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And once again, this is rooted actually in the Feast of Tabernacles because during the Feast of Tabernacles at night, huge lamps would be lit and there was a huge festival of celebration and rejoicing going on. Lots of singing and dancing. Now, not any kind of, of evil or wicked dancing. Men, in fact, and women were kept separate in the temple court during this time of dancing. It was dancing to celebrate God's care for the people during the Israelite exodus and during the time of the wilderness wandering. So these huge lamps would be lit, and in that context, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And if Jesus continues to identify himself with the work of God and as God's Son, that's going to lead to major controversy. And finally, Jesus will say that he is deity, John 8, verse 58. And he was understood that way. And you'll see that as you see the reaction of the religious authorities to Jesus saying, I am. Which will take us to Friday's reading in John 9, where Jesus heals a man born blind. That actually begins a new section in John's Gospel from chapter 5 through about chapter 7. We have the controversy from Jesus healing the man, the Pool of Bethesda, and he carries his mattress on his shoulder, and there's all kinds of trouble because he's carrying his mattress on the Sabbath day, and there's just lots of discussion about that. And that trickles into chapter 8, and Jesus is teaching about who he is as the Messiah. Well, chapter 9 will spark off another round of controversy and more teaching as Jesus tries to help the crowd see who he really is. There's a look ahead then that will help you be ready to do your daily Bible reading this week. John 7, John 8, and John 9. That's going to help us get to know Jesus and believe in him that we might have life 
in his name. Well, I'm to the bottom of this cup of coffee. I hope this starts your week in the very best way. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next Monday on the Monday Morning Coffee Podcast. Have a great and blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday.